Um, and it'll be a fun time, and we can get excited for camp together. Okay, so the focus of this study, the heart of worship, has been this statement that I gave you the first week, a couple weeks ago. It was that we want to discover the heart of worship so that we might acquire a heart for worship. We, we need to understand God's heart and the biblical heart behind worship so that we can acquire a heart for worship. Because I fear, and, and I'm not like calling anyone out individually, but us as Christians in general, that the church in, these, in this day and age, this, these last days, the Bible tells us, that it calls it the, the Laodicean time period where, where Christians are neither cold nor hot. They're lukewarm and they, they don't praise God. They don't glorify God. And I think there's many reasons for that, uh, of which many are biblical, but some of them are just so practical because there's so many distractions in the world. There's so many other gods in the Western culture that we place above God, even Christians. So many things that, that vie for our time, that vie for our focus and our energy, that God rarely is the preeminent one in our life. And so the reason that we need to acquire a heart for worship is because I don't think many of us actually understand what worship truly is, the heart behind worship. And so hopefully after the last couple of weeks, you guys have begun to understand better what worship is. Worship isn't merely just singing. I, I would call that praise. I know that we have a worship team, and, and if you understand that there's, there's more to worship than just singing. Singing is a very important part. Praising God is a very important part. But worship in general, is, is a life that's lived with God in the prominent place in your life and giving God the glory that is due his name, right? We saw that the first week when we defined what worship is biblically. Psalm 29 and verse 2 gives us that definition. It says, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Giving God the glory that is due his name is the essence of worship. That, that word worship comes from an old English word. We talked about this. It, it's, it literally, the word was worth-ship. It, it ascribes worth to something. And so is God worthy to you of your worship because of who he is and what he's done? We've seen that every week. Last week, we looked at the cost of worship. We saw that worship requires sacrifice and worship requires faith. We saw that from Genesis 22 with Abraham and, and, and Isaac. The very first time the word worship is used in the scripture, the very first time, it has nothing to do with singing. You guys remember what's happening? God tells Abraham, he's, he's testing him to see if he would prove his faith. And he says, take your only son Isaac and sacrifice him for me. And Abraham, as he's willingly, obediently stepping out in faith to do this thing, he, as they're coming to the place where it's going to happen, he tells his men to stay with the donkeys, and he says, stay here while me and my boy go worship. Because he was about to sacrifice something that was important to God to let him know that he was the only one in his life that had the prominence and the preeminence. And obviously, if you, if you don't know the story or you weren't here, God stops his hand. He doesn't sacrifice Isaac. He replaces it with a lamb as a substitute. And we saw the doctrinal importance last week, how that points forward to Jesus, God's only begotten son, being sacrificed on the altar of the cross for our sins. But that is the essence of worship. It's giving God the glory that is due his name, but it's also, it requires a life of sacrifice and a life of faith to obediently worship God. Now this week, what I want us to look at is the act of worship. Now I'm gonna do something that's maybe a little hokey, but what I hope is that hokey things tend to stick in your memory a little bit better. I, I know some of the craziest things that I remember from school that aren't even that important are because a teacher gave me a hokey way to remember it. You know what I mean? Like, 
like, like I can't even think of one right now, but just like weird things that'll pop to your memory. You know what I mean? Like, like, like pie. You know what I mean? Like, I've, I've, I've used pie like one time in my adult life, and like uh, how to find the area of a, of a right triangle or whatever. And what, what's that? The Pythagorean theorem. Why do I know that? I don't know, because the teacher taught me a way to remember that. I, I, I did use the Pythagorean theorem once in my adult life at this job, and I was so proud of myself. It was awesome. I was trying, when we were building this building, I was trying to find the area of this wall back here to think about, like, uh, uh, sound panels and stuff, and I got the rectangle, and then we had the triangle up top, and I'm like, I know how to do this. I can find the area of this wall. So thank you to my geometry teacher. Anyway. I want to teach you guys the act of worship. So ACT, A-C-T, is going to be an acronym that we're going to look at tonight, okay? So really what I want to teach you guys with the act of worship is what does worship actually look like? If you were caught in the act of worship, what would you look like? So is there anyone in here who's a basketball player? Do you play basketball in high school or middle school? A A couple, okay. Shank, either Shank. What does beef stand for? That's old school. Do they they still teach beef? I'm going to be mad if they don't. Oh my goodness, Shank. Okay, it stands for balance, right? You got to be balanced, especially on, on when you're shooting your free throws. Beef is important. Balance, eyes, elbow in. You don't want your elbow straggling out here. Elbow, follow through, right? So that's important. Beef is form for, for shooting your free throws. And if you guys don't know that, maybe your free throws will be better now. So you use that acronym to remember form, okay? And so uh, there, there's other things that are important for form. Weightlifting. Has anybody lift weights or has lifted weights? A couple. Okay, so form is really important because if you walk into the gym and you see guys lifting big weights and you're like, well, I can do that, and you step over and maybe you do do it a few times and then you go home and you're really sore or you might actually hurt yourself. You might uh, pinch a nerve, slip a disc. Uh, y- you might really strain your muscles because form is really important, especially if you want to get gains. Because if you want your muscles to grow, you need to use the proper form to break them down properly, yada, yada, yada. All of these things, the correct form is important. Any, can anybody else think of anything that has a proper form? I don't know. Yeah, there you go. That's good. You can play a musical instrument sloppily, but if somebody has a proper form, they can usually shred, especially guitar and stuff. Right? Anybody else? Who, who has a hobby where you've got to have decent form? Welding, yeah, my Buckeye boys, that's what's up. Welding has a good form. Anyone else? Running, yes, I have terrible form at running. I like hit my own heels half the time. What, what was that? Golf, golf, yeah, I'm terrible at golf. Yeah, I, I'm so focused on making contact, it's, it's terrible. But yeah, can you, sh- here, come up here, can you show us a good golf form? Do you golf? Let's see it, let's see it, show us a good golf form. Pretend you got a club in your hand. Show me. All right. See, I'm I'm assuming balance is important, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you kind of want to do like, like this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You no. So so you don't come straight back. You want to bend the elbow, or bend the elbows. Yeah. Okay. And you get follow through, but don't like. Now, where's are the hips involved? Yeah. Okay. How? <laughs> Baseball form, good form. But just like follow through. Okay. There it is. Thank you. Well done. (laughs) Form is important. And so tonight I want to teach you some form for worshiping God. Now, 
I want you to remember what we've talked about the last two weeks. Worshiping isn't just singing, but singing is an important aspect of worship. So you could absolutely apply all, each of these three things to singing and praising God, but they also apply to every aspect of your life and giving God the prominence in your life and, and giving him the glory that's due his name, okay? So just remember that. We're going to use ACT as an acronym, and hopefully it'll be easier for you to remember what the act of worship is after we see these three basic principles. So letter A, let's start with the first one. Letter A stands for adoration. Ad oh, that's a big word. What does adoration mean? Well, the root word of that is adore. So, you know, maybe you can figure that one out. Adore or adoration means intense love or passion. Intense love or passion, adoration. Some definitions even have the word worship as a part of it. So what I'm talking about with this word is that worship should stem from your intense love and passion for God. We've kind of talked about this in past weeks. If worship is an outward expression of what's inside your heart, we saw that last week, then, then truly worshiping God will be an outward expression of the love and passion that you have for him in your heart on the inside. Well, why should we love God? If we're going to adore him and, and express adoration, why should we love God? I, I know that the question is almost self-evident at this point, but let's go through it. Let's look at it biblically. Let's not just assume things. Let's see what the Bible says. Well, number one, this is interesting. Do you know that Jesus just straight, straight up tells you to? Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. Now, he's quoting the Old Testament here. So he's quoting the Old Testament law to Jews who would know this. And Jesus confirms that in the New Testament. And he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Love God. He says, You are to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And this isn't the same love like, I love tacos. Anyone in here love tacos? Okay, very good. Now, if your love for God is on the same level as your love for tacos, you got a problem. Because I know the English language, we use the word love for a bunch of asinine things, but the true word love is, is, is within the word adoration, and to adore, it's an intense passion. It's an intense love, right? And, and, and this love consumes all of our heart. It, it extends to all of our soul, God says. It's our very being. It's the essence of who we are, loving God. It fills all of our mind, with, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, we love God. And not one section of our mind is devoted to anything other than love for God. And that means that we hate things that are against God. Because if you love God, you're going to hate the things that are evil, that are against God. Right? That's how you love God with your, your mind. It, it uses all of your strength. Every fiber of our physical being is surrendered in complete love and adoration of God. That means all the way from, from the top of your anatomy to your bottom of your anatomy. You are giving it to God on a daily basis. There's actually a way um, that, that I was taught a long time ago to pray in the morning. You say, well, man, I always seem to stumble into sin. Okay, well, Romans chapter 6 tells us to yield our members as instruments of righteousness righteousness to God, not to use them as instruments of the flesh. And so what you can do is literally to love God with all of your strength, all of your physical attributes. You can start at the top of your anatomy and pray all the way down and say, Lord, this, this today, I want to give you all of my mind. I, I, I want to give it all to you. I don't want to think any bad thoughts. Lord, I give you my eyes. I don't want to look at anything. Guys, you, you say with Job, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I look upon a maid? Okay, and then you work your way down. God, I don't want to hear anything that's evil, that, that, that is against you. I don't want to say anything. I, I give you my mouth and my tongue that I wouldn't say anything that, that blasphemes your name. Work your way down. God, I give you my, my heart. 
all of me. I, I give you my arms and my hands, everything that I do, every, 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 all the work that I do today, let it be for you. I'm working my way down. God, my stomach, my bowels, may they yearn for you. Work your way down a little bit further. That's a no-no. That's, we talked about that in February. That's for God too until you're married, right? Keep going. My legs, my feet. Lord, may everywhere that I go be for you. May I be, have my feet, like Ephesians 6 says, shod with the gospel of peace. And everywhere I go, I'm proclaiming God's name. You see that? That's loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, your mind, and your strength. All of you. Every fiber of your being loves God. I don't know, man. That sounds crazy. Well, that's what God wants. And there's many men and women of old who lived centuries before you who did love God like that. We can do it. I know we live in Laodicea, but we can love God like that. David loved God. David loved God. Psalm 18, 1. It says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, which, which is a, a shield, and the horn of my salvation in my high tower. David loved God, and worship derives directly from your love for God. And so worship, it, we, it starts with adoration, adoring God, loving him. You know what? David loved God because of who he is and what he's done for him. Remember, we talked about that week one. We've been bringing that theme up again. And again, God deserves our worship because of who he is and what he's done for us. Psalm 116.1 says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Supplications are like requests that you make to God when you're praying. There's different kinds of prayers. There's prayers for other people. Those are called intercessions. When you pray intercessory prayer, you're praying for other people for whatever they might require. Uh, supplications are, are, could be requests just for yourself. He says, I love the Lord because he hears me. He hears my request. You should love God, guys, because he hears you. You can pray to God right now. And the God of the universe who created the world and the universe and everything in them in seven literal days by speaking hears you. I, I can't even fathom that. I can't even fathom that. That that God who makes the world go round who, who by grace gives me every breath that I breathe, hears my voice because I'm a son of God and I pray to him. He deserves my love and my worship and my adoration for that. Not only did David love God, but you know what? He loved his word. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my med meditation all the day. He says, I can't stop thinking about your word. In fact, the entire chapter of Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, is an entire love song to God's word. It's not even about God. It's David speaking of how much he loves God's word. How could you love God without loving God's word? We've never seen God. The only reason we know who God is, the only reason we know what he looks like, the only reason we know his attributes, the only reason we know what he's done for us is because we've read God's word. And so you can't love God if you don't love God's word. Not only all of that, but you should love God because of how much he loves you. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9 says that we love him. You know why? Because he first loved us. Man, there you go. That's rubber meets the road stuff. That's not deep theological doctrinal study at all. We ought to love God because he first loved us. We can reciprocate that love. Romans 8, 38. I love these two verses, 38 and 39. Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, if I miss something, 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, if you have a relationship with Christ today, there is not a thing on this earth, there is not a thing under this earth, there's not a spiritual power in the sky, there's not a governmental power. God himself cannot separate you from his love if you have accepted him as your savior. And he deserves your worship for that because he loves you that much. He deserves to be loved by you, especially, especially if you claim to have a relationship with him and you've accepted his free gift of eternal life that comes wrapped in the gift of Jesus Christ, especially if that's true of you. That's how much God loves you. How could you not reciprocate that love by worshiping him through adoration? So whether you're singing a worship song or serving him in ministry or just living your life, your worship needs to start in adoration, complete love and passion for God. Let's move on. Letter C stands for celebration. Adoration and celebration. This, might, this one might sound a little odd to you, but worship should be a celebration. Specifically, it's a celebration of God's character, of, of who God is. We're celebrating that. There's so many things that God is. He has so many attributes. It, it would be impossible to list them all tonight and to study them. So I just want to quickly overview some things that the Bible says he is. And, and we're going to go through them quickly, and I'm just going to give you one verse for each attribute. I think the attribute is on your study sheet, so you can write the verse beside it if you want, or you can just listen and take it all in. But hope, hopefully after realizing these things that God is, man, our response should be to celebrate. Loving him because of who he is, adoration, but then celebrating how great our God is, literally celebrating God for who he is. So what, what is he? Well, there's, a, there's several things. Here, here's a few. Number one, our maker Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Listen, if God exists, and I submit to you tonight that he does, if he is the creator of all things, then he is the authority. He is the one supreme being over everything, and that alone, his nature of being the creator, deserves worship. That, that's an easy one. He's holy. Psalm 99 says, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is Holy. God is the only being in the universe who, at his very core, is holy. There's no evil in, in one part of him. And we should praise God, man, that he is not evil like man, or we'd have no hope. You know, some of the, the gods, small g gods of pagan and Greek and Roman mythology, they're these, these gods that, that had some portion to them that was evil in some aspect, whether it was pride or lust or what have you, they, they were always battling. If you ever look into some of those Greek and Roman, uh, you know, gods, that mythology, they're always battling over something or screwing something up because even those small g gods, they, they're not holy. Only the true God, capital G, is holy. There's not one part of him that is evil or sinful. He's also good and merciful. Psalm 106, praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Man, have you ever just worshiped God or prayed to God just because he's good? You know, our circumstances in life might change, but God never changes. He's immutable. He's always good. You know what mercy is? It's not getting what you deserve. Grace and mercy are very similar, but they, they are different. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, right? So grace is the free gift of Jesus. Not going to hell is mercy. 
Because each and every single one of us deserves eternal judgment for our sin. But God is merciful, and so he doesn't give us what we deserve initially. He provides another way through Jesus Christ. He provides an option for us to decide to not have to pay for our sins. That is mercy. God offers mercy by not giving you the punishment you deserve for sin, but offering you Jesus. And man, we should praise God that his mercy doesn't end when we sin, but it endures forever, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that he is kind and that he is truth. Psalm 117, oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Man, praise God that he is a kind God. Because guess what? God is a just judge. He is perfect. He is holy. He is light. In him is no darkness at all. And so one day at the second coming, there will be judgment. And man will be judged for our sin because God is just But God is also good, he is also merciful, he is also kind, and his truth endures forever. You know what, man's truth changes all the time. Do you know that? Well, truth shouldn't change. Well, it does. (laughs) You know what, if you went to school a little bit, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, your, your science book would be different, your history book would be different. Truth changes with man. Science changes as we discover more around us. This is one of my favorite things to tell us. I, I always tell it. Do you guys know how George Washington died? George Washington got a fever, and the medical practice at the time was, well, we got to get that evil stuff out you somehow, so let's just let some blood out. It was called, literally called bloodletting. So, really, you know, creative, let some blood out, bloodletting. So you let some blood out, you get better? Not yet? Okay, let some more out. We must not have got it yet. So they literally drained so much blood out of him that he died. (laughs) I mean, could he have died from the fever? I mean, probably, I don't know, it was the 18th century. He he could have died. But listen, that, that was truth back then. That was science back then. Truth changes with man, but God's truth never changes. That book that you hold in your hand, teenager, that is God's truth. And the Bible says that God's very, I know, someone can argue, well, I was only written a couple hundred years ago. Yeah, but you know what God's word says in it? That his word endures and it lives in heaven. God's word is settled forever in heaven. His truth is forever. And we should praise God for that because that means whatever he says in that book doesn't change. Jesus Christ died for you, that doesn't change. He loves you, that doesn't change. If you accept him and give your life to him, you become a son or daughter of God, that doesn't change. You can never lose your salvation. That doesn't change based on your merit. Man, we should praise God that his truth never changes. Other attributes, we'll go faster here. His name, Psalm 148. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is excellent. Faithful, Deuteronomy 7. We have a song that we sing about that, that he's faithful. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments. Guess what? Men lie. You've probably lied. We, we fail. We tell people we're going to do things and we forget or we purposely don't do them. God doesn't. He's faithful. God said he's going to do this for you. He means it and he's going to do it. God says he's coming back someday. He means it. He's going to do it. He's faithful. He's also love. God doesn't merely possess the attribute of love. He has defined it, his very character as love. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth, knoweth, or he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. God's not just loving. He doesn't use, just use the adjective to describe him. He is love. He's also light. This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He is powerful. 
Jeremiah 32. Look at the prophet. He says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. How amazing is that? God is so powerful. Well, is God so powerful that he could create a rock big enough that he couldn't move it? Yeah, he already did, actually. It's in your hand, his word. Do you know that even God has to obey his word? Because if he, li- if he doesn't obey his word, he's not God because he's a liar? I don't, he's so powerful to me, I can still worship him. His greatness, 1 Kings 8, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. God can't be contained in the heaven or the heaven of heavens. And if you do a study through the Bible, which is really fun, we don't have time for, there are three heavens. The third heaven is where God dwells, which is beyond the universe. So beyond the universe can't even contain who God is. That's how great he is. He's eternal. Psalm 90, he's outside of time. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. God has no beginning. He has no end because he's God. And he's all knowing. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Okay, so we did that long list of attributes and characteristics of who God is, his character. Why do we do that? Because worship, starting with your love for God, your adoration, it should be a celebration of his character. All of those things are a reason to worship God. We should celebrate that. Because you know what? If you do a study of world religions and you look at the religions all across the world, there isn't a single God who can match this list. There isn't a single God who's worthy of celebrating because of these things. They're all small g false gods. But our God is everlasting. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's ever present. He's, he's, he's all these things we just went through. And so we should celebrate that in our worship of him. Letter T, last one, is thanksgiving. Adoration, con- uh, I almost said confession. That's the acts of prayer. Adoration, celebration, thanksgiving. All thanksgiving means is just giving thanks. It's really easy, right? So not only should we love God and and celebrate who he is, his character, but we need to give him thanks. Again, and I know I keep coming back to this. I don't mean to be redundant, but that's just really the heart of this. We're giving thanks for who he is and what he's done. Look at Psalm 100. It says in verse 4, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Okay, so thanksgiving and praise, they go hand in hand. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. We just saw a little bit of that a second ago. Psalm 69, 30, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Thanking him for who he is. Psalm 95, 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and do what? Make a joyful noise unto his uh, uh, unto him with psalms. So thanksgiving and worship go hand in hand in a lot of places throughout the scripture. Because what are you worshiping? Well, I'm worshiping who God is and what he's done for me. Okay, well then that should mean that you are thankful to, for those things, right? It, I, I feel like in today's day and age, we're, we're not thankful enough. We, I mean, we, we talk about it once a year at Thanksgiving in November, but really, we're, we are a very thankless generation. Like, we, we don't thank any 
buddy who's done things for us. And man, God, above all else, deserves our thanks and our thanksgiving. So we thank him for who he is. We thank him for what he's done. Psalm 107, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. What he's done. What are his works? Well, I mean, there's a lot of works of God. He's the creator. Hey, we could go through all that stuff, but let's just be specific. What has God done for us? Well, John 3, 16 tells us that God so loved the world that he did something. He gave. That's one of the works of God. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because you see, while you were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, God commended his love toward you and he died for you. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, the enemies of God separated by him in our sin, he died for us. Mm. And in Philippians 2, he did that by condescending out of the heavens, out of his eternal state, coming down into his creation, this little blue speck in the universe, took on a flesh suit like man, the clay that he created, and became us, Philippians 2 tells us. He made himself of no reputation. Remember, he's a king. He's not just the king, a king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And what did he do? He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Man, are you thankful for that? Are you thankful for who he is and for what he's done for you? If so, man, he's deserving of your worship. He's deserving of your adoration. He's deserving of your celebration of his character. He's deserving of your thanksgiving. Remember, we, we talked about week one and earlier that worship, that word comes from the old English, worthship. So God is worthy according to what we've read in the scriptures tonight. And so we should worship him because of his worth. I, I hope you guys are getting a better understanding of what it means to worship God because it's not just singing, although that's an important aspect. It's a lifestyle of giving God the preeminence in our life. Look at Revelation chapter four, verses 10 and 11. I, I love these two verses. They're, they're good memory verses. We memorize them at camp. But see if you can spot the acts of prayer here. The four and 20 elders fall down. This, now this is prophetic. This is yet future. The four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, that's God, and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their thrones before, or their crowns rather, before the throne, saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. A adoration, celebration of who he is, and thanksgiving for what he's done. Mm. So what I want to leave you with tonight as we wrap up is John 4, 24. tells us that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And that dichotomy is key. Those two things are important because God is a spirit, so we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So let's break that down. Why is that important? Spirit, because you must be saved to truly worship God. That's so very important. If, if, you, don't, if you don't know this, when, when you're born, you have a dead spirit. You, you, you have a spirit that is dead because Adam, your father, going way back the lineage, sinned and was separated from God in his sin. The Bible says that in that day that they ate of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of, they died. But, but they didn't physically die. They kept living for hundreds of more years. But what happened is they died spiritually. 
You see, God made you in his image. And if you look at that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the image that God created you in is his tripartite being. His, he's a trinity. He is three persons, and yet he's one. He's God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. Three persons, but one God. And so God made you in that image, giving, giving Adam three persons. He, he had a body. He had a soul that will live forever, and he has a spirit that connects him with God. But when he died, he still had a body because he didn't die physically. He still had a soul, but his spirit died. He had a dead spirit. He lost the image of God. And if you jump forward to Genesis chapter 5, it says that when Adam had a son named Seth, Seth was born in Adam's image and Adam's likeness, not in God's image, not in God's likeness. And so ever since that sin, man has a dead spirit. Well, that's a problem because being born separated from God, having a dead spirit, being born into a body that is sinful, separating you from God, well, that's going to separate you from God forever in eternity once the body dies and the soul lives forever. But what Jesus did is he came to earth, he died on the cross so that you could accept his payment for your sins. And see, what the Bible tells us is if you call on him, if you confess Jesus' name and believe on him in your heart that God died and rose again for your sins, you become a son or daughter of God. You become a new creature. The Bible says that you are born again. Because you know why? Your first birth, your first birth, John 3 tells us, separated you from God. We talked about that. But your second birth, a spiritual birth, you're reborn spiritually and you get a live spirit. The book of Ephesians tells us that it, you become quickened. The word quickened means made alive. And so that dead spirit becomes alive. It becomes rejuvenated. It becomes resurrected. He gives you a live spirit. And if you don't have that spirit in you, you can't worship God because God is a spirit and he must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And so if you don't have a relationship with him, well, teenager, you have a dead spirit. Not only can you not worship God in spirit and in truth, but you're separated from him right now. And if, God forbid, you were to die tomorrow, you'd be separated from him for eternity. Man, don't leave here tonight without getting more information about what it means to become saved. It's the most important decision you could ever make by giving your life to the Lord so that you can get a new spirit and, 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 and get a new life and become a new creature. And then you can worship God for who he is and for what he's done for you because you have a, a, a spirit that's been made alive. So are you saved? Do you have a relationship with Christ? But that's just the spirit part. So those of you that were saved, you're not off the hook yet because it's also spirit and in truth. Truth because you can't fake out God. You, you can fake out me, you can fake out the counselors, you can fake out your friends. But listen, one, you could fake us out by not actually being saved, or you could be saved and living in sin, but just pretending everything's okay. But check it out. If you're harboring this sin in your life that you're not telling anybody about, listen, God knows, and you need to repent and confess it to God because it's actually hindering you from praying and worshiping God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I am harboring unconfessed sin in my life and pretending to fake it till I make it, listen, you're not worshiping God because true worship of God is worshiping in spirit and in truth. So before we worship, do this last song tonight. What do you need to do? You need to get saved. Do you need to finally cut the crap and just give your life to the Lord, become a new creature, start this thing over so that you can have eternal life with him forever in heaven? Or maybe you just need to get real with God. Maybe you're saved, but you need to confess some sin. Maybe you need to get serious about your relationship with God and quit faking it. 
and worship in spirit and in truth. Because guys, worship is all about God getting the glory that he deserves. It is due his name. How can we do that? If one, we're not saved and we're literally sinners, enemies of God, or two, we're saved and we're faking it and we're living in the, the, a world of sin that, that is against God, you, you can't worship God in spirit and truth that way. So whatever you gotta do, man, we're about to pray, get right with God now. And as we sing this last song, worship him in spirit and in truth, in adoration, in celebration, and in thanksgiving of who he is and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father God, I, I come to you tonight and I thank you for your word, Lord, as I do every week. God, I, 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 there's, a, there's many people in this room, but really there, there's only two groups of people. There's saved and there's lost. And if there's anyone in here who's lost and doesn't know you as their Savior, Father, I pray that they would just simply give their life to you. The Bible says that all we have to do is admit that we're a sinner, believe that you're God, that you died and rose again for our sins, and confess you as the Lord of our life. The Bible says if we do that, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You come into our heart, your Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, and you revive us, you make us a new creature. You adopt us as a son of God. Father, if there's anyone in here, I pray they do that tonight, and if they want more info, I pray they talk to me or a counselor or the friend that brought them. That's the most important thing they can do. But for those who are in here and who are saved, and maybe they've been harboring some unconfessed sin or, or just dabbling in the world's stuff, and they, they come to church and we fake it till we make it because we're at church and we're around our friends. We don't want them to know how we're living. Listen, most of us in here are probably faking it at some level. So God, I pray that we would just give it to you right now. The Bible says that you are faithful and just to, to, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we'll simply confess those sins to you. And so God, I pray that we'd confess them, lay them all out here on the line, surrender them to you and repent, truly turn away from those sins so that we could worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we offer this last song of praise, God, I just pray you'd be glorified, that you would, that you would just get the glory that is due your name from this song right now and that we would go out of here seeking to with our lives, Lord, not just our lips, but with our lives, give you the glory that your name deserves. We love you and it's in your son Jesus Christ's name that I pray, amen.